Acts chapter 3, starting in verse 11-ish, 12-ish, somewhere in there, okay? You remember last week that uh, Pastor Steve uh, preached on the first part of chapter 3, and what happened in that passage is that a man that's been lame from birth is healed. He has an encounter with Peter and John, and uh, this is a guy who has been sitting in the same basic place begging since he was a little child is our assumption. This is a spot, if you think about it, that most people walked past. It says that it happened in Solomon's colonnade. That's an important spot near the temple, which means a lot of religious people walked past this guy every day, which in and of itself could be a sermon, right? Who are we walking past every day, not really paying attention to, not really believing that God has something for them? But that's another sermon. That's not where we're going today. So that's where he is. Peter and John walk up and they say to him these amazing words, get up and walk. And let, so let's pick this up in verse 11, see what happens here. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. What is going on here? Well, I want to talk about what's going on in verse 11 here just a little bit and build on what Pastor Steve has said. And I want us to look at the heart of the gospel proclaimer. And that's what I'm kind of labeling Peter here, is this man with the heart of a gospel proclaimer. Like you would probably have done had you been this lame man who had just been healed and two guys come up and tell you to get up and walk and it works, you would give him a hug, I think, at a minimum, right? This says he clung to Peter and John, and that's not just so he wouldn't fall down. That wasn't happening. This is out of pure, utter joy and astonishment for what has happened in his life. Well, think about it. I think this clinging by this uh, healed man made it very apparent to everyone the source of his restoration. Peter and John are standing right there. He's hanging on to them. Guy healed, hanging on to two guys. What would be your thought? These are the guys who healed him. They're responsible for this. Well, Peter doesn't boast in this situation. He doesn't, he doesn't go there. We'll see it in just a minute. He is very self-effacing here. Think about it. In this opportunity for what could have been self-aggrandizement, Peter was resolute in his determination to reflect all the praise away from himself and his fellow apostle John. It doesn't happen. Think about the temptation it would have been if that had been you or me and we'd have just, you know, healing had just come to this guy through us just saying, get up and walk. The temptation for Peter here would have been to have made something for himself. It would have been a very strong temptation, right? I mean, let's get over ourselves and realize we might just have thought about it for two seconds. He could have become famous in the capital city as a healer. His name would be well known, right? Well, hey, did you see that guy Peter? Did you see, did you see John? They're, they've been healing people. He could possibly have made considerable financial gain, gain if he was careful in his planning and his future. You know, think about it. The temptation would have been, 
you can hear Peter and John talk, and Peter's saying to John, dude, this, this could be the end of that smelly fishing business. We, we, could, we could make make something here. Not that anyone who's ever preached or is a pastor or who has a gift of healing has ever done anything to make something of themselves. Not that that has ever happened. But Peter would have none of it. This was Jesus doing. Peter had been only an instrument in the hands of, a, of the master, right? And it looks as though, it seems to me that Peter had thought about this subject a great deal. He believed that Christians are bestowed with a gift by God in order that God may be glorified. Later, he writes in one of his letters, as each of us has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. Peter knows the truth, and that is that all the gifts, whatever they are, speaking, serving, healing, are all from God through his grace and for the purpose of glorifying God and not ourselves. Peter got that and later would teach it to the church. My question for us this morning is, what giftedness has the Holy Spirit granted you? Can you honestly say that you're using those gifts, those abilities, those God-given abilities and gifts to glorify God? And are you careful to ask the Lord to show you how you can be more God-centered in your using of the gifts? See, we can make a lot of our gifts and kind of bring attention to ourselves. So to help with this, this fall, we're going to have a day-long seminar led by Alan Budd on the spiritual gifts. We want to help you find out and use your spiritual gifts. We're going to offer a seminar on a Saturday called Equipped for His Glory. And so you want to watch for that. And the purpose of that is so that we can understand what Peter is doing, what's going on here, and how to better use the gifts that we have, or maybe even to find them out for the first time. And to become confident in the use of those. I think some of us are hesitant to use our gifts and to step out in our giftedness and use them because we kind of don't want to bring... We want to do the opposite, right? Some of you are sitting here thinking, all you introverts are sitting here thinking, well, I would have been like, I wouldn't have made a big deal out of me. Okay, you've got to realize though, Peter's... Uh, remember, this is Peter, right? Speak, then think, Right? So this is, this is quite the accomplishment for him. There's a great little poem I found this week by a man named A.A. A. Whittington. He wrote it in 1891. It says this, Not I, but Christ, be honored, loved, exalted. Not I, but Christ, be seen, be known, be heard. Not I, but Christ, in every look and action. Not I, but Christ, in every thought and word. And that's what we see in just that one little verse in verse 11. And in the coming verses, we're going to see how Peter builds on this. But the heart of the gospel proclaimer needs to realize where our power comes from. What the message is that we're preaching, who it's really all about. And that's what we want to look at next. The focus of the gospel. 
The focus of the gospel is what? Or better said, who? It's Jesus. The focus of the gospel is Jesus. We're going to see this in verses 12 through 17. Let's read those. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. Saw what? Saw that they were all coming around, right? Saw that the people are gathering. He's thinking, "Uh uh-oh, this guy's hanging on to us. We can't get away. And now all these people are coming to see what has happened. As he saw it. Now, think about this. This is Peter, right? This is Peter who was too ashamed of Jesus to admit that he even knew him to a servant girl the night of the crucifixion. And now, here's Peter, he sa- it says, when he saw it, he addressed the people. P- Peter's going, <laughs> I got a shot here. This is an opportunity to talk about Jesus. See, Peter had learned, see, Peter had gone from this guy that was too afraid to admit who he was and that he knew Jesus to the, the one that was used on the day of Pentecost to see thousands come to Christ. I think Peter had learned an important lesson, like, what? Which one do I want to be? Do I want to be the timid one that's too afraid of admitting who I am and who Jesus is? Or do I want to be the one that gets to see God bring thousands of people into the kingdom? When Peter saw it, he addressed the people. Peter's setting up a mini-sermon here. Well, we were joking here last night that... This sermon about Peter's sermon is longer than Peter's sermon. It's just what we do. Let's see what he says. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power and piety we have made him walk? He's saying, this isn't about us. Why why are you looking at us? You haven't figured this out. You haven't gotten this yet? You heard about the resurrection. You heard about what happened at Pentecost. Why are you looking at us? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus. Now he gets serious. Whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life. Peter's got a little bold, hasn't he? You killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. In other words, we all know it. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong. The name of Jesus, by faith in the name of Jesus, has made this man strong whom you see and know And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man his perfect health in the presence of you all. See, he was from the south. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. Peter stops, and in these few sentences of a kind of a mini-sermon, the beginning of this mini-sermon, basically sets up and says, Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Christ. Now, lest you think that Christ is Jesus' last name, okay, it is not. I read one commentator this week who said, Jesus was a Jew, Christ is God. This word Christ is better, we would better use it, the Christ, 
Okay? Jesus the Christ simply means the anointed one of God. Christ, the anointed one of God, the Messiah. So when he basically now says Jesus, he's trying to say that Jesus is more than just this Jew that you saw walking around. He is the Christ. He is the anointed one, the Messiah. He is the promised Messiah. Because Peter was speaking to the Jews here, he purposely begins his sermon with these words, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers. What he's doing is aligning Jesus in the historical lineage of the Jews. Saying he, he, he came from us. Peter was a Jew too, right? He came from us. This is who Jesus is. This is the promise. He is the promise, the Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah who has come in the promise that was given to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and our fathers. That's who this is. Well, later in chapter 4, we're going to find out here in a week or two, we see some of them are so angered that they charge Peter and John with this in verse 18 of chapter 4. They say this, speak, they, they told them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. Stop talking about this. Stop talking about this. But Peter insists on it. Jesus and his entire message of Christianity is rooted firmly in the Old Testament. It is all through. Many of you, if you're in small groups, have spent, we've spent the last year or more going through the Old Testament seeing Jesus in the Old Testament through the Gospel Project. Yes, Abraham, the father of Israel himself, is tied to Jesus. We see that in the Old Testament. Peter is saying, this isn't just this random person, this is the promised one that we've been reading. He's telling these Jewish religious leaders, some of whom were standing in the crowd, let me tell you how to interpret your own scriptures. And the one who has healed this man today is the outcome of your Old Testament scriptures. Make sense? In one sense, Peter is summarizing the entire story of redemption. Of God who has covenanted to his people salvation through faith in his son as our representative and our sin bearer. The Old Testament clearly points prophetically forward to its fulfillment in Jesus Christ. That's what Peter is doing here. This is the one who's healed. You're Messiah. You're anointed one. That is the cause of this healing. And he talks about Jesus in two ways. One, humiliation, and the other, exaltation. Let's look at these. It says he glorified, verse 13, God has glorified his servant Jesus. His servant Jesus. Jesus knew the purpose of his coming into the world, right? Philippians, we, find, we see that he laid aside the things that were rightfully his to come and be born as a human because there was a purpose to his coming. In Mark 10, James and John, yeah, this same John, and James, they are, well, let's put it this way, they're having a discussion and they're requesting seats of honor in Jesus' kingdom. Let's put it like it is. They were arguing over who was going to get the big thrones next to Jesus. So they're arguing about this. They're requesting these seats of honor in Jesus' kingdom. And in verse 45 of Mark 10, Jesus wants to refocus their attention on truth. So he says this to them. For even the Son of Man, 
who's he talking about? Himself came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom or a payment for many. Thus stressing the servant nature of his ministry and his purpose. This is the, this is the Jesus that Peter describes as this servant the servant nature of Jesus meant his willingness to give himself in death on behalf of his people. Look how boldly Peter speaks about this. It is almost shocking how direct he is. He wants to make sure that they know who he's talking about. He reminds them that they are guilty of Jesus' death themselves. Verse 15, you killed the author of life. You did it. That's the Jesus we're talking about. Remember him, the one you killed. That's pretty bold. This servant who gave himself, that's the Jesus we're talking about. But look at the word right before that. It says, he glorified his servant, Jesus. I believe that this, what he's talking about is, is he's saying that there was a, yes, Jesus was a servant, but he was glorified through his resurrection that he talks about in verse 15. Now he is no longer incarnate in the world, but in the next. His place is once again in heaven, a place devoid of sin, devoid of fallenness. He is exalted. He is glorified. Look at verse 16. And his name, whose name? Jesus' name. By faith in Jesus' name has made this man strong. Just the name of Jesus. Whom you see and know. This man who you see, just the name of Jesus, has done this. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. This is, Peter's saying this is all about Jesus. This is happening because of the name of Jesus and because of this man's faith in Jesus. You have seen Jesus at work, Peter is saying to these people. This is what Jesus does. He reclaims, he heals, he restores. Let me tell you this. We here today, we can confidently with anticipation look forward to the day when the dawning of the new heaven and the new earth will come as God consummates his purpose. This purpose to reclaim and to heal and to restore. And like this lame man's healing... It will be all because of Jesus and nothing we have done. See, we will all stand one day before God and it will all be because of Jesus. We will be finally and fully a reclaimed, healed, and restored people. All because of Jesus. Let's look at this point. Peter doesn't stop here. He is well aware that we are not yet in that glorious existence yet, right? It hasn't fully happened yet. And he goes on to call his listeners and us with the call of the gospel. Peter is smart. He's not going to just say, you killed him. He's going to say, but there's more to the story. Peter is going to remind them that apart from repentance and belief in this gospel, what, here's what we'll, belief in the gospel, we'll call that faith, there is not a promise of a glorious eternity. This, this, 
glory that we will one day live in is not going to be possible without faith in Jesus. There will be only eternal suffering and separation from God otherwise. So let's look at this, the call of the gospel in verse 18 through 21. Well, what is this call? Uh, We're going to look at three important aspects of the gospel. We could even say the why of Jesus' mission to us. Look at verse, let's look at these verses, starting in 18. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. In other words, there's been prophetic teaching in the Old Testament that the Messiah would suffer. That's what God's fulfilled. Then he says, we're going to look for three R's coming up, okay? Repent, therefore. There's the first one. Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. That times of, here's the next R, refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. And that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for, here's your third R, restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Do you see them? Repent, refresh, and restore. Let's look at each one. Repent. Literally, Here's what repentance means. We use this word. We throw it around a lot, right? It's a good churchy word, right? You want to sound like a good Christian? Use the word repent. Okay? Use it in the grocery store. Just go up to people and say that word. They'll figure out who you are. Repent. What does it mean? It literally means this type of understanding. My sin is an offense to God. Now I turn and go in a new direction. It is the admission of sin. The admission of sin and a turning and going in the direction toward God. Because in our sin, we are going which direction? Away from God, right? Repentance is, I realize my sin is an offense to God. And I will turn and go in a new direction toward Him. That admission of sin, even if it's in ignorance. Look back at verse 17. I know that you acted in ignorance, he said. So you killed him, but you acted in ignorance. He's kind of giving him a break, but here's the issue that we would say, well, I didn't mean to sin. That's not the issue. The issue is not under what circumstance you sin, but that that sin needs to be and can be forgiven. That is really good news, right? So even when we're stupid and sin, the good news is God will forgive it when we repent. So the picture here is this. You're walking in a direction away from God. You've committed offense against him and he calls you to come home. So that your sins will be blotted out. Watch this. Not just set aside, set over to the side and, you know, put over there. Not just covered up, but blotted out. Washed away, removed. And then, now that we're home, don't go back. See, if you're a Christian, why do we go back to that stuff? It's all all been blotted out. And we act like, oh, it's just sitting right there and I keep grabbing my hole. It's not even there. It's been blotted out. That's the picture here. 
when Peter says, repent so that, repent, look at what he says, repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. Turn back, come back home. Repent. Let's look at this idea of refreshing. Somehow, we realize that what was glimpsed here in this man's healing was a foretaste of a world to come, something that had never happened before. It's like a breath of fresh air. As God's Spirit works in our lives, drawing us back to Himself, there's refreshing. There's refreshing, and look, it comes from the very presence or, or the face, literally the face of God. We know it, don't we? We know this. The refreshing that comes after repentance. The refreshing that there is in being in right relationship with him. It's that excitement we feel. You, you feel if you, if you lead a friend to Jesus and you see their sin, they see their sin and they turn to Jesus. Maybe like some of you are feeling right now as God is saying to you very quietly right there in your seat, come home. Come home. Yeah, Peter spoke these words 2,000-something years ago. But they're speaking to you, and he says, come home. Stop in your tracks. Realize your offense against God. Turn and come home. There will be refreshing as you know that your sins have been blotted out and are covered and are gone. It happens too, I believe, whenever we respond to God's truth and work in our lives, doesn't it? Believers. Just this past Thursday, I met with a young man and we talked about the truth of his identity as a believer. That he is a son of the Most High God, a prince of the King, a holy and righteous, forgiven part of God's family. And that is refreshing. I could, I could feel it. I could hardly contain excitement the rest of the day. I was running up and down the hall, and on Thursday, you know, Thursday afternoon or so, everybody's kind of filtering out, and I'm like, who's still here? Let me give you a picture of this. I don't know the rest of you. Who, whose hay fever has just been off the charts the last couple of weeks? Mine has been. And now we moved to the country, and I think there are more trees out there. I'm not sure about this. <laughs> there are definitely fields that they're plowing up. And because we hadn't had rain in a while, I could literally, if, 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 if you've got this problem, you know what I'm talking about. It's like a giant wall of pollen everywhere. It's just hanging there. You can see it on your cars. Well, if it's on my car, it's right there too. I was praying for rain. Please, Lord, let it rain. Because what does the rain do? It just pulls it all down, doesn't it? Pulls it all down, blots it out. Some of you are going, oh my gosh, look at what's happening. This is a gully washer. That's a southern word. You can look it up later. <laughs> this rain's coming down. What are we going to do? Everything's going to... I was like, thank you. I sat in my kitchen looking out the windows, and this stuff would come. And I'm like, there goes the pollen. I'm going to be able to breathe. That's refreshing, right? That's the refreshing. This, this rain comes and just washes it all down but there's a step further here 
the analogy breaks down right there. You see, the sin is gone. The pollen will rise up again. <laughs> but your sin is gone. It's like a washing rain. Even in, the, in Scripture, we even see God's work as be, being described as a rain that washes us. That's the refreshing that comes when we stop in our tracks and hear God's voice to come home and repent. And there's this refreshing. And then best of all, look at this. There was a restoring of all things. Jesus came to restore his creation to its, his original intent. We repent, there's this refreshing, and we are restored as he is restoring all things, it says here. What was God's original intent? What is he restoring us to? What is that? I believe it's this. It's walking with him in the cool of the garden. Isn't that how, what we were created for? What did Adam and Eve do? They just walked with Jesus. Wouldn't that have been cool? They just walked with God in the cool of the garden. Hey, you want to go for a walk? I think God's waiting for it. Wouldn't that be cool? Eve says, oh, i got to get ready. He's like, no, you don't put anything on. Don't worry about it. You'll get that later. <laughs> they would just walk with God. See, that's what, it, that's what it, this means, this restoring of all things to his original intent of walking with him. Sin separated us from God, but Jesus made a way for us to return to his first desire for us. Isn't that amazing? Repent today. Never walked with Jesus? He just says, come on home. Admit your sin, start home. And as you do that, there will be this sense of refreshing as he begins to restore you. Peter finishes his mini-sermon here by going back to the Old Testament, verses 22 through 26. He goes back to the Old Testament and quotes passages from Deuteronomy and Genesis. I just want to bring our attention real quickly to a couple of things here. Let's read this section, starting in verse 22. Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. Who's he talking about? Jesus. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. See, it's only good news because there's bad news. All the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaim these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. Now, there's a lot we could go into, but I just want to point out four quick things. Number one, from Moses, the prophet, to Jesus, the Messiah, God is calling his people to himself. He wants us to know him. Number two, when Jesus speaks, listen. Right? When Jesus speaks, listen. He is the only voice we must listen to. Why? Because he is offering us refreshing and restoration as we repent and follow him. Number three, failing to heed 
the call of Jesus' good news will end in destruction and eternal separation from God. Sin always leads to death. There is no alternate way to live in a relationship with God. Jesus himself said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And number four, true Christ followers can rest assured in their Lord's salvation. It is clear, it is full. In 1747, Charles Wesley wrote the words to his hymn, Love Divine, All Loves Excelling. And I want to read you the the words to this hymn. Come, Almighty, to deliver. Let us all thy life receive. Suddenly return and never, never more thy temples leave. Thee we would be always blessing. Serve thee as thy hosts above. Pray and praise thee without ceasing. Glory in thy perfect love. Finish then. Finish then thy new creation. This this restoration, right? Finish then thy new creation. Pure and spotless let us be. Let us see thy great salvation perfectly restored in thee. Changed from glory into glory till in heaven we take our place. Till we cast our crowns before thee, lost in wonder, love, and praise. Lost in wonder, love, and praise. Through faith, repenting, we are refreshed and restored to a place where we can be lost in His wonder and His love and His grace. I want our prayer partners to come right now and take your places. And as they're coming, I have two questions for us. Number one, listen carefully. Number one, are you hearing the voice of God? calling you to faith and repentance today. As we've talked about this restoration and this restoring and refreshing, God's going, come home, come home. If you are, I want you to do this. As we stand in just a couple moments, step out of your seat, come to one of these prayer partners And let them guide you and share with you how to declare your faith in Jesus, to repent of your sins and live in his refreshing restoration. There's no need to wait another moment. I know this could be hard. But let me assure you that believers in this place today support you and rejoice with you. Have no worries. Christ followers, are you lost in the wonder and the love and the praise of God as you think about what Jesus has done for you? Or has it become all kind of mundane? You're just kind of used to it. Do you take it for granted? As you consider what he has accomplished for you, I think this would be a great day to come 
to these altars and stand or kneel here and ask him for a renewed refreshing in your soul today. From this spot, I can feel it. There's heaviness here. And I think it's that many of us just don't live in that refreshing restoration that God has given us. Here's the opportunity to to sense and feel fresh air of his love for you as you come and just ask him again for it. Just maybe, you know, ask him to give you a sense of just the rain on you today. So we're going to stand and sing. God, do what you will do today. This is all about you. God, I pray that as you're calling people to yourself, that they would come and they would give their lives to you today. As you are speaking to those of us who are believers, God, come and let us cry out to you that we would be people who would live in the joy of our restoration and the refreshment of knowing you.